good Gator Nation. Welcome back to the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. Not the happiest of episodes today. Florida has lost to LSU 45-35, the fourth straight loss to LSU, the 10th in the last 13 games. Florida's season in terms of national title hopes and SEC title hopes were pretty much shot before that game ever happened this past weekend. But now I think we have to take a long, solid look in the mirror and start figuring some things out. And today's episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast will attempt to do that as best as possible. I am your host, Neil Shulman. You can follow me on Twitter at All Kinds Weather, on Instagram at All Kinds Weather Blog. And on Facebook and YouTube, under the name In All Kinds of Weather, Dustin Smith, also with us tonight. You can follow him at I-A-K-O-W Dustin. Before we get into all the football that has to be discussed, quick word about our sponsors slash partners. We are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that sends deserving or underprivileged Gator fans to the swamp. For those of y'all who might be new listeners, the Gator Good Foundation collects donations from fans and uses them to bring someone to his or her first ever Florida football game. Uh, We just executed our 2022 campaign. It is now on the website. You can read all about the story of Alec and Bennett by going to our website, GatorGoodFoundation.com. Of course, it's never too early to start thinking ahead and looking at next year. So if you believe you or someone you know is worthy of the honor for 2023, please email us GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. As always, donations are very much appreciated. So to donate to our cause, please go to our website, GatorGoodFoundation.com, and click on the donate button. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting in your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. Number one, it's a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a much better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving the business. Two, it's run by a UF alum and diehard Gator fan. Number three, they've got the In All Kinds of Weather stamp of approval because they produced our new logo and our new website. They've also done a ton of other Gator-related projects, including the new Gator Collective website, the new Gator Collective logo, the Gator Good Foundation website, and they do all the marketing for the Charleston Gator Club. So if you're listening to this podcast and you need help in any of the aforementioned areas, Stingray Branding will more than take care of you. To learn about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. That said, Dustin is with us. Chris couldn't be with us tonight, but Dustin, I mean, I think you and I can can manage a, a therapy session between us. I mean, the, the game was awful. We sat next to each other. We we shared a lot of the same thoughts. What were what were your initial takeaways from that game? Well, Neil, as you know, uh, I was very vocal about both sides of the ball in rewatching the film painfully in part. I think our offense did pretty darn good. 35 points is, is good enough to beat almost anybody in the SEC. Our defense played awful. We're going to grade the, the team at the end of the show, and we're probably going to have to invent new numbers that don't exist uh, except in uh, calculus classrooms um, in order to grade this team because uh, on the defensive side, 
they look like high school players, to be honest. They're not good high school players, like like one star, two star high school players, to be honest, Neil. We'll get to it later in the show when we grade the team, but that's my biggest takeaway. The fact that we, we the fact that we just got one stop, and that one stop occurred on a technicality. Okay, really, really that 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 wasn't a stop. That it was a drop got. ball. It's a drop ball. <laughs> we were we didn't earn a stop. We were given a gift. Neil, I'll just say this. It was the worst. Like, I, I earlier I would say inarguably or arguably. I'm going to say that it was inarguably the worst defensive performance in Gator football history, because some would argue Samford, which uh, scored quite a few points on Florida, but at least Florida got stops against Samford. At least Florida stepped it up in the second half against Samford. Florida did not play defense against LSU. I mean, you're, you're just stealing my talking points. That's exactly what I said to you after the game as we were walking out, uh, headed towards Section E to see your parents. Um, well, I mean, there's there's hyperbole. There's being prisoner of the moment. There's knee-jerk reaction. But, you know, this was the most embarrassing defensive performance in Florida Gators history. I don't know that I'd say the worst. Um, maybe, but it was the most embarrassing. Oh, but you're exaggerating. You're now you're doing the knee jerk reaction. Now you're getting caught up in the moment. Well, okay. I, I hear you. And Florida has had games where they've given up more yards, uh, more points, you know, Alabama in 2014, out in 2020, the, the fiasco bowl against Nebraska, the 1942 Georgia game where Georgia puts up 75. You know, I, I get all that, but here's, here, here's the counter. Okay, because because that is a fair criticism. So let's just go for a little walk here. Uh, just just hang with me, y'all. Uh, I wrote about this on in all kinds of weather.com. I wrote about this in my five takeaways piece. I really love Ken Palm's basketball metrics because they're heavy on Dustin's favorite concept, and that is the the mere idea of context. And this is this is your thing, Dustin. You stole my thing. I'm going to steal yours now. Context is everything. If you have two QBs that each throw five interceptions in a game against the same defense. You have that same control variable, but one QB through his five interceptions as wounded ducks into triple coverage late over the middle. And the other QB throws five catchable balls to his receivers that are on target, but they're all just dropped and and not just dropped. They're they're tipped high in the air and intercepted. Yeah, the stats are the same. The stats say both QBs threw five interceptions. Both QBs were equally bad. But in reality, when you apply the context of the tape, the two QBs did not really play equally badly, did they? That's that's the whole idea of context. And that stats mean a lot. They tell a lot of the story, but they don't tell all of it. And why I love Ken Palm and what Ken Palm does best is that they measure efficiency. They don't they don't just rank teams in points per game. They do adjusted points per game. They rank teams in points per, per possession. How many times did the other team possess the ball? And how many points did they score? In other words, how many points was it possible for them to score versus how many points did they score? So in football, let's say that there are two different teams that play the same opponent in in two different games. Let's say one team gets 12 possessions and scores uh, 38 points. And let's say the second team in this this game against the same defense gets the ball 
uh, we'll say seven times and scores 35 points. So the, the team that scored 38 obviously has more points by their name, right? They, they scored more, but they left a lot of hypothetical points out there because they scored 38. That's five touchdowns and a field goal. But in this example, that leaves six drives where they, where they put zero points on the board, where they don't score at all. And meanwhile, the team that, what did I say? I said, I said 35 on, on seven drives. The team that scores 35 points has five touchdowns on seven drives in a game, which means that only two drives did not result in points. So the percentage of possessions that they scored touchdowns on and that they scored on period is obviously higher. That's efficiency. That's that's how you measure offensive and defensive efficiency. Doing the most with the opportunities that you have in front of you. You can't control how many opportunities you will have. The, the flow of the game will dictate that for you. You don't control that. The the overall game does. So this uh, in this example, the team with 35 points did not score more points in the team that scored 38, but they scored more points per possession and thus were more efficient. So that said, in the context of efficiency, Florida literally could not possibly have done any worse. LSU scored a touchdown on literally every single drive through the first three quarters, six drives, six touchdowns, 100% through three quarters. For the game, now the fourth quarter rolls around. They don't score touchdowns anymore. But think about this. Eight drives total for the game. The two drives in the fourth quarter, Florida had one quote-unquote stop because on a third and three, Kayshawn Boutte was wide open. LSU had their hole in the defense. The, the seam was there. Florida's defense had given them the first down. It was there for the taking. The completion was there to be made. Boutte just drops the ball. So Florida doesn't earn that stop. They're given a present. That was the only time all night LSU didn't score. And on their last drive, LSU didn't need a touchdown. They just kicked the game-winning field goal. They didn't care. They, 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 weren't, they weren't trying to get a touchdown as hard as they were the rest of the game. They just wanted three points to make it a two-score game. So, again, literally could not possibly have done any worse. Every single time that LSU had a new set of downs, every single time it was first and 10 for LSU, they wound up getting another first down, a touchdown, or in the one scenario, the game-winning field goal, except for the one time where Boutte is open, he's got the first down, and he drops the ball. So when you consider that context, you know what? Yeah, this is more embarrassing than giving up 75 points to Georgia. Florida didn't have its team then. All their real players were overseas fighting in World War II, and that was a Heisman Trophy winner that they faced on the other side in Frank Sinkwich. This, this was more embarrassing than giving up 530 yards and 52 points to Stanford because of what I just talked about, efficiency. At least that game, Florida's defense buckled down in the second half and at least in some small percentage of the game did its job and got stops. Sure, less talented team. I'll, I'll grant you that one. But Florida's defense generally was doing what it was supposed to do. They were wrapping up. They were making tackles. They were not busting coverages left and right. I mean, this is more embarrassing. Yeah, this is more embarrassing than giving up 672 yards to Alabama in 14. Because at least that game, Florida's defense was taking the ball away when they weren't getting torched. They forced four turnovers that game. And they took one of them back for a touchdown. The, the fumble that Brian Poole returned for a touchdown. That was a touchdown. The defense literally scored that day. Now, that doesn't make up for giving up 672 yards, but that's at least 
something. And you know what? Yeah, this is more embarrassing than the 1996 Fiesta Bowl against Nebraska because Florida didn't make many stops in that game, but they did make one. They made one first quarter, created pressure, forced Tommy Frazier out of the pocket, chased him to the sidelines, forced him to get rid of it. Tico Brown picked it off. They got one stop. This defense didn't do anything right throughout the course of the game. So, uh, yes, there, there are raw statistics out there in, in prior games that are worse, that are, are more humiliating. But when you consider the context of efficiency, this was the most embarrassing performance in school history because it just literally couldn't be any worse. Neil, have you ever played Madden or NCAA video game? All the time. This Not is, anymore, but I used to. This is akin to playing the game in rookie mode or in freshman mode. And LSU is the user team, literally. At least on third down. <laughs> yeah. Awful. Awful deal. I don't have words to describe. Well, you've you've uh, done an amazing job at organizing this podcast, Neil. So we'll have some point, pointed questions where you're, you're probably going to get a little more out of me. But man, I'm speechless. We we came into this game expecting it to be somewhere in the twenties. I was flabbergasted. Look, Neil, if you would have told me before the game. That Florida was going to score 35 points on LSU. I would have guaranteed you that Florida was going to win the game. Guaranteed you. Did I think our defense was bad? Yeah, I, I felt that our defense would not play super well in this game. But I had no confidence in LSU's offense. I knew they had a running quarterback, but I didn't expect them to score more than 27 points. So if you would have told me that Florida would score 35 points, I would have said, hands down, take it to the bank, bet the house, Florida's winning. But this defense wasn't just bad. This defense was all-time bad. It was literally perfect in in the wrong sense. It was literally perfect. It literally did every single thing wrong you could possibly ask them to do. The one stop that they quote unquote get they still made the mistake and they still had the first down surrendered. LSU just dropped the ball. They literally, yeah. literally couldn't have done any worse. Yeah. Well, well, you're wrong, Neil. There was another stop in the game that could have been, it could have been the, the, the play of the season. But you have Gervon Dexter, who makes an incredible pursuit of the quarterback, makes, con- makes contact as the ball is thrown, drives the quarterback to the ground, exactly what you want to see out of a defensive lineman. The ball is picked off, and Florida finally has life. You saw me. You saw how hard I celebrated. And that play was perfect, beautiful. Gator, historic play. It, it almost became an instant classic, the game. But wait, 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 Neil. We're in 2022 where quarterbacks are all of a sudden pansies. Sorry to be loud, Neil, but I'm, I'm making a statement. Quarterbacks are pansies, and that play, which was perfectly done, Gervon couldn't have done anything different. Roughing the passer. Neil, I played quarterback in high school. I know what is roughing the passer. I've been roughed before and i've been a hit before 
As a quarterback, when I'm hit in the way that Gervon Dexter hits me, there's nothing but respect. That was not roughing the passer, in my opinion. But does my opinion matter? No, it doesn't. Idiots wearing stripes like zebras on that field. That's the only opinion that matters, and they got it wrong, Neil. Well, I don't disagree with you, Dustin, but you know my big my big running thread on Twitter about all the times the NCAA blows calls against Florida? Do I? Neil, I haven't heard of that one. I've not seen that anywhere on Twitter. Didn't you just start that like like three months ago or something like that? No, it can't I actually, have been around for a while. I actually started that during a rain delay in the 2017 softball super regionals against Alabama. Okay, tell tell us about it. Yeah, and, well, and, you know, I'm being sarcastic. If it was yes, obvious. I'm. I've I've picked up on that. Um, <laughs> the the point of that thread is not to whine or complain. The point of that is not to say, "Oh, poor me." Oh, the refs are out to screw Florida. Oh, it's a conspiracy. The point is not that. The point is the refs are going to screw Florida. I'm, I, I, I guess I could have said that. The refs are going to screw Florida. At least, at least that's the mindset you have to have. And therefore, as a team, as an individual player, don't leave anything to chance. You have to assume the refs are going to screw you every opportunity they will get. So you, you have a choice. You can complain. You can say, oh, woe to me. You can say, oh, poor me. I never get a break. Everything sucks and I'm just a victim of everything. Or or you can strive to win every game by three touchdowns. Strive to win every baseball game by seven runs. Every basketball game by 15 points. Don't try to win by one or two. Try to win by enough of a margin that the refs do not have any possibility of impacting the outcome of the game. Do not give them the opportunity to screw you because you have to assume, and all those examples are there as proof of this, you have to assume that every even borderline call will go against you. You have to adjust. You have to play with that in mind. Even, And I'm not saying you have to play weaker. I'm not saying that if you're, if you're Dexter, you have to just suddenly play little girl football now and just play one hand touch. No, I'm not saying that, you know, you go hard, you do what you got to do. But what I'm saying is maybe just, just, just maybe if you don't give up 530 yards to give up touchdowns on the first six drives of the game and give up 42 points in the first three quarters, maybe the game doesn't come down to that. Maybe the refs won't have the opportunity to screw you over if LSU doesn't have a big bat 42 beside their name. So, yeah, that was a bad call. Sure, I agree with that. I watched the replay. I saw it live just like you. I was right next to you. We saw the same thing, the same vantage point. We saw the same replays. Terrible call. It shouldn't have come to that. You can't leave the game in the official's hands. We have too much evidence. We have way too much evidence that the refs are out to hurt Florida. We can't leave things to chance, Dustin. That's why I'm not even mad. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me 645 times? Well, there is no shame. That's just the reality, and you have to deal with it. So let's. I, I want to talk real quick about the 
the, some of the scheme issues that that I noticed in the in the game. It seemed like we were routinely out of position, and it wasn't simply a bad technique out of position. Where you know, obviously, they're watching the film. There are some circumstances where the leverage and the technique was poor. Obviously, we we've complained routinely about trading and you know obviously mad respect to the guy uh great person um very very happy for the time and the hard work that he's put into the university of florida and the football team but he's just regressed this year honestly i mean he wasn't the best in previous years but he's just been awful and i can't believe it but it's a pleasant it's always pleasant to see some of the younger guys get in even though they're not really doing much better they're at least trying to do something proper in in terms of technique but really what is most frustrating to me is some of the scheme issues at times and i'm not a and i preface this by saying that i'm not a i'm not a defensive expert when i played football in high school my task was to analyze the defense to the extent that i knew what it would take to beat that defense the quarterback, if he looks at Florida's defense uh, in front of or against the setup that LSU had, and literally Florida's in ex- exactly the wrong defense most of the time to beat what LSU is putting out on the field. And it's frustrating. There's times where we're in cover three and we're playing loose off the receivers and we're giving up wide open flood concepts. That's not how you play flood concepts. When, when, when you see a team that is doing flood concepts, you play man-to-man. Okay, cover one, man-to-man, safety takes the highest man, and you should stop it. But we're playing, in some cases, we're playing five to ten yards off the nearest guy. And it looks like we're trying to play zone, but it's like, it's like playing zone on hot lava. It's almost like uh, back in grade school when when the uh, when the when the teachers t- told us boys that the girls had cooties, right? Because man, th- those th- the defensive players on Florida were were as far as possible from the receivers at times. It's awful. I mean, you look at the at the. I mean, don't go any further. And you know, I I know that. Something that that that, we're, that we might we might do down the line with with the all kinds of weather brand is a uh, is a film study. Uh, we don't do that quite yet. I, I hope that we'll we'll be able to pursue that in the future. But right now, uh, a guy that's doing a great job with with film study is uh, D Virgilio of the the Gator Nation podcast, football podcast. He has a great film study, and the the first uh, non third down stop of the game is quite humorous. I mean, the safety is literally five yards away from the receiver. And it was a poorly thrown ball. Any other defense, even a Grantham defense, I hate to say it, but even a Grantham defense last year would have intercepted that pass. It was a poorly thrown wounded duck, should have been picked off, but because we gave the receiver too much freaking space, it went from being a play that could have been a great play on defense to an awful play. A play with not only did we give him all the room, but we missed two tackles before we finally got him down. Terrible. Bro, we'll- that play, 
that play right there embodied everything wrong with this defense. I, I, I mean, go ahead, but we're, we're coming back to that play when you're done. Go ahead. No, I'm done. If, if you want to talk about it. Okay. So on that play, there is a bust by one safety. There's that same safety turning his hips the wrong way. There is Technique. one missed tackle by Trevez Johnson. There is leverage there. And then there's, there's the worst missed tackle that's possible to make. All right. So, so Trevez Johnson is not responsible for the bust. I, I think and th- th- this is really, this is really where I miss having James Houston in that locker room. Cause you know, this is where he would tell me, yeah. So Trey was supposed to be a robber. Uh, Johnson was supposed to have the hook. I mean, we, we were expecting to, to see this kind of play. So we called this defense like that's where I miss him. Cause now I don't have that. It's not, I have to just guess as to who had what assignment, but from what, from what it looked like, I, th- I think this is what James said too. I, uh, I should have, watch that before doing this pod, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that that was, in fact, no, I do remember that that was Trevaz. That was not Trevaz's fault. That was Dean's fault for turning the wrong way. Trevaz Johnson could have been in a better position, but ultimately, you know, it would have been a case where he's cleaning up Dean's mess. Anyway, you have a bust by one safety. You have a bust by another safety to a slightly lesser extent, and you have two missed tackles on the same play. So Trevaz Johnson is coming up. From the middle of the field, Boutte is on the sideline. He's caught the ball. Uh, Johnson is to the left of him. He is by the right sideline. If you are if you are on the field looking at it from the quarterback's perspective, uh, or so yeah, Boutte is toward the right sideline. Johnson is to the left of him. He's not so far to the left of him that Boutte can't put his foot in the ground and juke him out and get more to the left of him, thus juking him and breaking that tackle and getting free so johnson could have been you know using the sideline as a defender a little bit better than he did but that's not the main problem here the main problem is that he thinks he has help in trey dean who's coming up from behind him he's already busted his assignment this this play is already a 30 plus yard gain because of dean's mistake but it's about to get worse because what happens is johnson sort of leans down a little bit Keishon Boutte is is running he's caught the ball freely now he sees johnson to his left he sees the sideline to his right and there's maybe about a a a five or six foot difference between johnson and the sideline so he's thinking well if i go to the right the play's over because i'm going to step out of bounds so there's no chance of gaining any more yards my only chance to gain any more yardage here is to try to to out left Johnson, meaning get further left of him, juke him out. He's already to my left, but I'm going to try to get more left of him and juke him and get past him. Trey Dean is right behind him. So Boutte puts his foot in the ground. He lowers his shoulder because, I mean, Dustin, you know, we both play football. Low man wins, right? So he's getting low. He ducks. He leans down, gets the center of gravity low to the ground. He bends down. or He doesn't bend. He, he, he crouches down to put his foot in the ground his right foot in the ground and explode off that right foot to go sharply left and juke out Johnson. Meanwhile, Trey Dean is right behind him. All he has to do is, well, he has, he has a choice either a dive at his, at his ankles and slap the ankles together. I mean, if if you've ever like horsed around with your four or five-year-old niece or nephew or your, your younger cousins or whatever, you know that if 
someone like slaps the ankle of, of a four or five year old, they go down, right? Well, this is a grown man who's going to be exerting a lot of force into the legs of an opponent. He'll go down. It's basic physics, dude. If your legs are churning forward, right? And they're slapped together, the person goes down. That's the end of the story. Or it, it, this would be lazier, but he could do it. Jump on the guy's back. Just jump on him and squash him and drop his knees to the ground. He's already getting his body down low. The knee doesn't have that far to go. He's already getting his center of gravity down to pull off that juke move. Just jump on him and drop his knee six inches further, and he's down. And that's the end of the play. But instead, Dean looks like he makes a, a half-hearted attempt to try to try to pull an imaginary flag off of Butte's belt, like his flag football, and he misses, of course. And that's 10 more free yards. And that right there is everything that this defense does wrong. They don't cover. They don't move well. They don't know what they're doing. And they don't tackle. And they don't use the sideline as an extra defender as in lieu of tackling. Literally, they do nothing right. It's, it is the perfect. It is the perfect mascot. That play is the perfect symbolism for this entire defense. Still no words, Neil. What words can you use, man? How many times can we say this? We say this every podcast. We say it on every show. Do the fundamentals right. Tackle. Attack the right hip. Use the sideline as an extra defender. Do your assignment. Don't let anyone get behind you. They literally do all those things wrong every game without fail. Yeah. Every single game. And, and now the alarming thing is it's getting worse. It's not saying consistently bad. It's not just stable. No, it, it, it's it's getting worse every week. Yeah, Neil, it's – I mean, it's one thing to to sit there and, 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 and uh, be in the stands and watch the game, but then it's another thing to re-watch the game, re-watch the film, and just see how out of position these guys were. I mean, I mean, I mean when – when LSU in 2019 had a phenomenal game against Florida, Joe Burrow, that whole slew of wide receivers who are playing in the NFL, LSU had to work for every yard they got. They were they were clearly, clearly the better team against Florida in that 2019 game. Clearly. LSU just had it handed to them on a silver platter. And, you know, this is this is probably a hot take theory. I'm going to share it because, I mean, your, your guess is as good as mine. But I, I feel like in some way, something that could have happened is, in practice, the guys are like, man, we don't want to do it the way you're doing it, coach. We don't want to, we don't want to, want to line up in that way. We think this way is better. And then Patrick Tony's probably like, okay, do do however you want it. You know what, Trey D, you call the game. I'm just gonna sit back and and drink some beer, you know, or I, I don't know. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get I'm gonna get me a Corona or something like that, you know? because uh, look, you and I, we both studied Patrick Tony coming into the season. I mean, Corey Raymond, for crying out loud, is part of the coaching staff for the Florida Gators. So I find it hard to believe that this is 100% a result of poor coaching. 
But in the same breath, what doesn't make sense to me is the scheme has looked awful at times. And this game, just watching it on film, this game was the precipice of being out of position. I mean, Brian Kelly out-schemed Florida perfectly. And that shouldn't happen against guys like Patrick Tony, Corey Raymond. Well, Coach Chaos. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, like, again, because I don't have a friend that's, like, in the locker room telling me every formation that, that they lined up in, I don't know this for sure. I'm going to guess it's a combination of a, a scheme that doesn't work and the coach is simply not trusting the players. Because you talked about how we studied Patrick Tony at Louisiana. We saw he does do a lot of press with his corners. He does a lot of jams at the lines. He doesn't I mean, sometimes every now and then, sure, but he doesn't give a lot of free releases. That tells me he doesn't trust guys like Jalen Kimber and Jadon Hill and Jason Marshall. I mean, Marshall's a very good corner. Jalen Kimber. I mean, he's, he's gotten burned on two touchdown passes this year, but he didn't, he wasn't in bad coverage. He was right there. He didn't make a play, but he wasn't totally roasted on them. Hill. I mean, I don't think he's totally back all the way from the ACL. So that, that would make sense that they don't fully trust him, but I mean, and we'll talk about that is in our next segment, we're going to do a little something new called uh blame pie and uh, you know what let's let's just do it dustin i before right, we get ahead. to that i i think i think a, i think a bye week deserves some homework you know it's kind of like when you're in college and you uh you have a, a midterm exam coming up it deserves some homework you got to study up a little bit before we have that midterm exam okay. versus uh georgia which we're probably going to fail but we'll we'll give the team the yeah. benefit of the doubt. At least at least some homework needs to take place. And boy oh boy, does Florida have some work to do over the next couple of weeks before Florida plays Georgia? But fans listening to this right now, I got some homework for you. Watch the watch the conference championship game between Louisiana and Appalachian State, and specifically look at the corners and safeties on Louisiana. They. Most of the time, no, 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 no. don't tell them, don't tell them it's homework. Okay, do it, it's homework, do it, do it, it's homework. And, and, I, and I like that. I like actually, that. Do, let's do this, do it, and go on Twitter and tag myself, um, aka OW Dustin or Neil All Kinds Weather on Twitter, tag one of us, and or tag us, the podcast, tag, tag the podcast, w forecast, yeah, exactly, tag us. And tell us what you think. Tell us what you see. And one of y'all will 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 give you a mention in our uh, in our pregame pod for the Georgia game. Yeah, so that's not it. a bad idea. Because yeah. um, I want to know what you think. Because honestly, that's what we should be seeing with this team, and we're not. And there's a reason why. Obviously, Napier is in program building mode. And some things have to happen in order to build the program the right way. Neil, let's get to it. Assigning blame, blame pie. I know that in uh, in about a, a little over a month, 
will be uh, fattened up on pumpkin pie, apple pie, a Florida favorite key lime pie. Fried key lime pie because you fry everything down there. Exactly, but it's um, not November yet. It's October, so what do we do in October? Blame pie. Go for yeah, it. Neil. Well, blame pie because, uh, I mean, clearly clearly, there's a lot of blame to go around. I mean, you, you can blame Trey Dean. You can blame Dan Mullen. You can blame Patrick Tony. Okay, fine. The point of blame pie is to assign percentages out of 100. So of all the components that we name, it's going to all add up to 100%. What and who and and how much is to blame for Florida's defense just being awful? I'll go first. Go uh, I'll, I'll go first. So I will say 10% Todd Grantham. These are his players recruited for his scheme that didn't work and who developed bad habits as a result of their time playing in his system. And just speaking more generally, Grantham was completely incompetent and you can't just reverse that in one year. So 10% Grantham, I'm going to go 25% Dan Mullen because Mullen is not only the one who hired Grantham, but stuck with him for way longer than he objectively should have, which led to the aforementioned problems festering. And he's the head coach. These are the players he recruited and he signed. Some of them are adequate pieces but many were not and that's his fault because it's his team so 10 percent grantham 25 percent mullen we're now at 35 percent i'm going to go with five percent for the rest of mullen's defensive staff uh, that's christian robinson wesley mcgriff david turner etc in theory they could have developed some of these guys a little bit better would have been hard would be asking for a lot but in theory they could have done more than with what they had and, and left florida with more game ready and technique sound guys so not much just just a combined 5% for the entire defensive staff the last couple of years. I'll say 5% for Billy Napier. It would have been very difficult. He had a recruiting class to salvage in very little time and had to go to work on his 23 class immediately, but he could have done a little bit more analysis on the roster, could have watched a little bit more tape and realized that he needed to make major moves in the offseason through the portal to patch up the holes on his defense. And I get why he didn't. Because you know, by focusing on high school recruiting, he's building for the future four or five years ahead, rather than just putting a bandit on this one 2022 season, which you know we all knew was going to be a rebuilding year anyway. Uh, but just in the context of assigning blame for this 22 defense, that's a part of it. And look, by by no means is there a guarantee that a purge in his first offseason would have resulted in anything better on defense. But he is the head guy, so he is going to take some blame for this. So five percent Napier. I'll say 20% for Patrick Tony. He is the DC. He is calling plays on defense. These may not be his guys, but it is his defense. And as a DC, you know, it does, does fall on you to have a defense that's at least respectable in either pass rush or coverage. And Florida is just heinous in both of those areas. They're, they're just awful. But that's not where this 20% comes from because he doesn't have his guys. And that's why I gave Mullen and Grantham a lot of the blame. No, 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 no. Most of this comes from him continuing to put guys out there who are hurting the football team. And I'm talking about a few guys, but one main one in particular, and I think we all know who he is. I mean, there's, there's just no objective reason for trading to see the field again. There's, there's just no reason for that. Uh, and more of that in a second, but that's Tony's decision. Well, he's a fifth year senior. Your only other choice is an inexperienced freshman. All right. Well, first of all, there's no conceivable way that 
any of the young guys are any worse. They may not be plug and play all SEC pieces, but there's no way that they're worse. Second of all, uh, I mean, okay, we have inexperienced youngsters on the bench. Okay, good. Good. Give me the freshman. Let Kamari Wilson make those same mistakes. Let Corey Collier make those same mistakes. Let Donovan McMillan make those same mistakes. Let Miguel Mitchell make those same mistakes. Dean's got exactly five games left and as a Florida Gator, and then he's gone and done forever. Let those other guys make the mistakes because they have long careers ahead of them at Florida and can use the learning lessons that they, from those mistakes to be better in the future, possibly even this year, if you had done what you should have done after the Tennessee game where Trey Dean all by himself is responsible for 130 yards of total offense and two touchdowns to Brew McCoy and Jacob Warren. Maybe those guys are more developed by now. If you if you make the move then permanently, he did get benched. Well, he didn't get benched, but he did sit for for one game due to an injury against Eastern Washington. But I mean, maybe if I don't know, maybe if Kamari Wilson did something wrong against Missouri or Corey Colley or made a mistake against Missouri, he would have learned from it and thus not made it again against LSU. I don't know. But the point is he's giving playing time to people who shouldn't be seeing the field. And that's that's really going to hurt Florida more in the last five games. And it's probably it probably already has hurt them um, so far this year because it, it was hard to justify or would have been hard to justify benching Dean before that Tennessee game because he was the fifth year senior. You could say, all right, he's just figuring out the scheme, whatever. But after that Tennessee game, I feel like the rubber should have hit the road and you should have gone different direction. Um, anyway, Tony's the one playing him. So he gets 20 percent blame from that. And the last 40 percent is on the players. Because, I mean, a lot of what I'm seeing and hearing just just tells me, I mean, I don't know this, but I'm getting the idea, I'm getting the inkling that Tony is afraid to jam receivers because he just doesn't trust his corners. And we did see evidence of that. Both Jalen Kimber and Jaden Hill got beat over the top for touchdowns. Hill had a really bad game, by the way. And and look, in fairness to Tradine, who I just lambasted moments ago, the tackling issue isn't unique to him. Everybody missed tackles against LSU. Even even Ventrell Miller. There was one play where he had a chance to sack Jaden Daniels. He missed, and he runs it in for a touchdown. And no, these are not Napier's guys. I, I know that, but they're still SEC football players. It isn't like Florida was their only offer coming out of high school. It's not like Mullen signed a bunch of guys who otherwise wouldn't have even played at the D3 level. And really, the phrase... He doesn't have the players when used to defend Napier or Tony. That very phrase directly indicates that the players aren't very good. And that, well, it, it is kind of their fault. So 15% on them. Dustin, what have you got? You can use any or all or none of the above components, but I, I need a, a total of 100% blame somehow, some way for the atrocities we've seen on this defense so far. Yeah, Neil. Well, hey, I'm going to go ahead and I, I I completely disagree with you. I'm not going to give any blame to Mullen. I'm not going to give any blame to Grantham. Napier is a new coach. He's instilling a new program, and it's his responsibility. Now, could Grantham and, and Mullen have contributed to this defense not being to the Gators standard? Of course. Obviously, Florida doesn't have the guys, and if you look at our 
recruiting numbers right now, there's a big time reason why some of the best players in the country are interested in Florida. And part of that has to do with the playing time that's available. So I'm not going to assign any blame to Mullen or Grantham. I'm going to have to the players on the field, the defense, defensive line, safeties, corners, linebackers, 30%. Definitely not a majority because coaches make key decisions that impacts the performance on the game. Nate Pierce paid in excess of $7 million, if I'm not mistaken, to coach this team and find ways to win. Look, Neil, if we were to run fire zone the entire game and not change, I think we would do better than what we did in this game. Or if we did, uh, a, you know, we talked about Madden. Uh, if we if we pulled out Engage 8, right? Engage 8 would probably give up some big-time plays. But I would say at least 25% of the time you make big stops and that would be more big stops than we made in this game, Neil. Another play, a play that I like a lot, cover two man, where you have two safeties playing zone, and then you have your the, the rest of your corners, depending on whether you're in a dime package and you have three corners or a nickel and a quarter, two quarters. You're, those guys are running man. I think I would do phenomenal in this game against LSU. We would stop them at least 40% of the time. And if we stop LSU 40% of the time, they don't score 45 points. They probably only score 28 points, and we win the game. Okay, The coach has got to put their team in position. So with, with that said, when something stinks, it stinks at the head. When a, let, me, let me restate that. When a fish stinks, the smell starts at the head. And the head of this team is Napier. So I'm going to give Napier 10%. Patrick Tony, leader of the defense, guy who who we expected so much more from, 35%. Corey Raymond, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, in my opinion, and he still has the opportunity to redeem himself, but he still has to redeem himself, 15%. And the rest of the defensive staff, 10%. That, that's, that's how I see it, Neil. I know we're a little very, bit different. That's very how I see interesting. Yeah. I don't see how you can how you can say zero for Mullen and Grantham. I, I can understand. I mean, I didn't give them a heavy percentage, but I said 10 for Grantham and 15 for Mullen. I mean, combined, the two of them have a quarter of the blame. But ultimately, I mean, here, here's the thing that 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 gets me that that I've seen a lot on social media. I've seen a lot of people go, well. You know, it's a new defense. You can point the finger, blame all you want. You can you can blame Dean. You can blame Tony. You can blame Napier. You can blame Mullen, whatever. But ultimately, it is the first year of a new scheme. So what did you expect? And that is the line that just drives me berserk. Here is the problem with that. I, I understand. Okay, I, I completely understand. I, I do. I understand that. No first year can be used to truly judge a coach. And I also understand that there's a history of Napier and Tony turning things around, having a terrible defense their first year at Louisiana, turning it around, making it into a very good defense. I understand that. But 
there are two problems with that with with regard to this defense at the University of Florida. Number one, that data is an, is a good indication that if you were to drop Napier and Tony at another school, pick a school at random in the Sun Belt, that data point is an indication that if you were to drop Napier and Tony down into another random Sun Belt school, they would be capable of building another monster defense in the Sun Belt. It does not by any means guarantee that they can do it in the SEC. And look, I I know, I agree that they are great recruiters, both of them. But the difference is they had a monopoly on the talent that they wanted in the Sun Belt because no, you'll never get the five-star signees. You'll never get the blue chip, you know, Clemson, Oklahoma, Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, Miami, LSU, Michigan type offers kids to go to Sun Belt schools. It just won't happen. So you don't even go for those kids. But you get the top kids that are willing to go to the Sun Belt, and you don't have much competition for them. Maybe Appalachian State, I guess, is competition. It's not it's not strong competition on the recruiting trail for those guys. That's not the case in the SEC. Florida is not head and shoulders above other schools the way that Louisiana is in the Sun Belt in terms of prestige. I mean, Florida's always going to have Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, Ohio State, Oklahoma, USC, Notre Dame, Michigan, Miami, LSU. The Mississippi schools now are respectable. They'll always have those. Sam Pittman is recruiting well at Arkansas. South Carolina is not a joke on the recruiting trail. They're not quite Florida's level. But, I mean, Florida had to work to flip Jaden Robinson away from them. It's not like they're a complete you know, punchline on the trail either. That's not going to be the case at Florida. So do I trust Napier to upgrade the talent at Florida? Yeah, of course. I, I definitely do. But can he just grossly overpower everybody else with a monster natural talent advantage? No. No. He he can't. He he will never have a team at Florida that is head and shoulders more talented than everyone else in his conference. He'll never, you'll never grossly out talent Alabama. Maybe I mean, you know, maybe in a perfect world, you could be even with them. You can have a, a tenth of a point of a percentage point in the 247 composite ratings. You know, and that that's your best case scenario. You'll never just grossly out-talent everyone in the SEC. And that's a big part of how Louisiana built the best team and the best defense, in this case, in the Sun Belt. It's like saying because you crush it in a video game on medium difficulty, we won't say easy. I mean, I guess like D3 is the easiest level or the FCS is the easiest level, whatever. It's not like it was on the easiest difficulty setting, but it's like saying because you crushed it in a video game on medium difficulty, he's just guaranteed to rip right through it on the hardest difficulty setting. So I pump the brakes on that for now. He'll get the defense to be better. Absolutely. He will definitely make the defense better than this. I mean, if he doesn't, he's not going to last very long. So I'm confident that he will. But I'd pump the brakes on saying he'll get us to have the best defense in the SEC because he once did that in the Sun Belt for ULL. That's number one. Number two, I understand, like I just said, that it's highly likely that things get better. But because we don't have a crystal ball and we can't know that and we can't know how much better they will get, this is still unacceptable. And look, this is not even a full indictment of Patrick Tony. 
This is not insinuating at all one way or another how he's going to fare what he gets his players. And this is just me saying that, you know what? At a certain point, at a certain level of terribleness, it kind of doesn't matter what he happened at Louisiana. I'm not interested in hearing about patience because that that ex- that excuse flies if Florida is just garden variety bad. If Florida's defense ranks in the 70s or 80s, there's there's a certain threshold of awfulness that when it's crossed it doesn't matter and those comparisons aren't relevant. And look, I know the defense isn't good. I know the players aren't there to justify high expectations. I know Mullen left it in bad shape. I know that. I'm not asking to be a top five defense in the country. How about top 105? Oh, no, we can't even manage that. We're 106th in the country in total defense right now. We are 106. We are 106th in the FBS. Connecticut has a better defense than Florida right now. Auburn has a better defense right now. Auburn, by the way, on their third defensive coordinator in as many years, by the way, they just switched over from a 4-3 to a 3-4, so I don't want to hear that excuse for Florida. But UConn, UConn's ahead of us. That's embarrassing. And don't go, well, UConn doesn't play SEC teams. No, but they played Michigan. They played Syracuse. They played NC State. That's three ranked teams right there. Florida's played three ranked teams too. And when we're not playing ranked teams, we're playing South Florida and Eastern Washington. And we could barely even stop them. So, look, I'm not completely dismissing the Louisiana comparisons and and the, the improvements that Tony and Napier oversaw at Louisiana as completely irrelevant. I'm just saying that I don't want to hear them. They don't matter right now because we don't have to accept this level of bad on the interim. I mean, hell, just just be bad. Just just be a bad defense. Just be garden variety bad. Just plain bad. Rank in the 70s or 80s nationally. Rank, I don't know, not dead last in the FBS in third down defense. If that were the case, I'd be much more accepting of those Louisiana comparisons, of, of that stat sheet that I saw, of that, of that chart where they go from 124th in the country up to 70th and then higher and higher, whatever. I'd be much more sympathetic to that if Florida was just average, plain old bad and not hilariously incompetent. Not hilariously for us, obviously. It's not so funny when it's our team, but just astoundingly inept. This is an all-time Bad defensive showing for Florida. Ranking 106th out of 131 FBS teams is all-time bad. Florida had a string of, I think, not a string because it was interrupted by one year, I think. But there, there was a stretch of 20 years or so where in 18 of them, Florida had a top 10 defense in the country. Florida's barely top 110 in the country. And I know it's a rebuilding year, like I said, but we just deserve better than this on the interim. We'll get better, I know, but it doesn't mean we have to tolerate this in the interim. I think I left Dustin speechless again. Yeah, Neil. I'm you speechless make too, man. I get it. Yeah, you make excellent points. Um, I think we need to put this one to bed. 
Are you ready for final word? Yeah, final word. I've I've had enough of this. Let's let's. I love doing the podcast, man. I I really do. I love talking with you. I love talking football, but this is just exhausting. So let's. Uh, you know what? You know what, Neil? Because it's recruiting season. It's always recruiting season. I can't wait to talk about recruiting with you, because amidst all the chaos and all the all the disappointment that we've seen on the defensive side of the ball, our defensive recruiting class is arguably looking like the best defensive recruiting class since when Will Muschamp was the coach at Florida. And uh, it already is. And we've still got some big pieces to add over the coming weeks and months. Yeah, definitely excited about that. I mean, look, I'm not saying the sky is falling on Florida long-term. I think the future is as bright as, as I thought it was when Napier was first hired and then throughout the off season. I'm just saying that I understand growing pains are necessary. I get it. I know Nick Saban lost to ULM his first year. I know Kirby Smart lost to Vanderbilt his first year at Georgia. I get all that. I'm just saying that there's a limit to just how bad the team should be in the first year without the fan base complaining about it. There's a right to complain. This is so bad. If it was just average garden variety run of the mill bad, if Florida, you know, if Florida's third down efficiency was like 45%, not 55%. If Florida's defense ranked, you know, 80th in the country and was giving up 395 yards a game and not 430 yards a game, I'd say, yeah, growing pains, whatever, year one. Okay, let's let's see what happens next year. This is just so bad that we shouldn't have to accept it, even in a rebuilding year. A rebuilding year doesn't mean you just throw everything out the window and just say, oh, whatever. You go 1-11, you go 2-10, and 10, whatever, rebuilding year. No, 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 no. There are still expectations in a rebuilding year. And none of this is to say that it won't be worth it down the line. I mean, if Florida just completely bottoms out, they lose to Vanderbilt, they lose out, they go four and eight, miss a bowl game. And then two years from now, Florida's hoisting up that new championship trophy in the CFP. Yeah, it'll all be worth it. But we don't know that. We don't have that data. And because we don't know that, we should not be accepting of this level of terrible. And with that final word, and really the final time I ever want to think about this game, Play of the game, player of the game, grades. Dustin, play of the game uh, for you is what? Well, Neil, I know that obviously the defense played horrible. We didn't spend a ton of time talking about the offense, so I have to talk about Anthony Richardson, play of the game. And this was arguably the best sequence of Gator football that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Now, the game was awful. And the context was awful. But you take this play and you put it in the middle of any other home game. Insanity. In fact, if you take this play and you put it in the middle of the uh, LSU game in, in 2020 or the LSU game in uh, 2018, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, pick your game. You put this in. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the fourth quarter the beginning of the fourth quarter sequence where you have Tom Petty. Okay. What we won't back down. The whole stadium is singing. It's such 
a euphoric experience to be a part of that. I mean, the game was awful, but just being in the swamp for that moment made the price of admission worth it. And then to go from that to the insanity of, and this is something that, that I know Neil, you, you probably want to talk about for at least a few seconds. So after saying this, I'll let you vent for a minute. Um, but then, the, of course, the LSU band starts playing during the apex of the, the Tom Petty song, like buffoon idiots. <laughs> Neil, do you, do you want to? Do you have words? Do you want to share about your hatred for for this this particular group of people? <laughs> <laughs> they're about as useful and as pleasant as a used tampon that's my only comment oh man oh man that's what i get for for queuing deal up like that anyhow i mean what do you so expect they're just horrid people but we lost to them we don't get the right to complain like i no. said earlier with the refereeing don't don't give them the opportunity to do what they do they're terrible yeah. people they're gonna be terrible people beat them yeah. and they don't get to be terrible people it's our fault yeah, well, that was an awful moment, but guess what? Just a few moments later, Anthony Richardson takes the ball and like Superman in the flesh, runs the ball 81 yards down the field for the touchdown in one of the most heroic and superb touchdown runs that I've seen from a quarterback ever. That run made the run against USF and FAU last year look like child's play. I mean, what he did to that defense for one singular play, LSU's defense looked like Florida's defense. I can't believe I just said that. But man, oh man, Anthony Richardson did it. And that that was phenomenal. I mean, I don't know about you, Neil, but I probably binge watched that play 18 or 19 times just to get some sort of pleasure and enjoyment from this LSU game, which otherwise beat me to the ground. That's okay. my play of the game. Okay. You're going to go with the ray of sunshine in a category five, you know what storm I will say the 54 yard bomb to Jare Jenkins over Jadon Hill. That was a play that I thought Florida had to do something on Hill had to do something on, Avoid the big chunk play, avoid the touchdown, just knock it down, make a play on it. Nah, that that was a killer. And uh, I mean, honorable mention to the 24-yard touchdown to Brian Thomas, who beat Jalen Kimber for it. That was a that that one really hurt too. But the bomb to to Jare Jenkins was just absolutely a dagger. So I'll go with that one. Florida, uh probably not gonna get player of the game for me but i know you like picking a gator so who have you got for your player of the game neil i'm gonna have to go with anthony richardson i thought he played good enough to win now i know that after the game i'm not gonna go there but i was not super happy with richardson i was a prisoner of the moment in what i thought of that final drive before the lost the game before that drive ever happened so there's made there's got to be major grace for anthony richardson and not getting the job done in the final seconds of the game however he for the first time in a long time played this game turnover free 15 of 25 and of course had some electric touchdowns 
Of course, we all know about the touchdown run, but that opening pass to Shorter was beautiful. The the touch that he put in that ball, it was perfect. If he can replicate that type of play against um, some of some other teams in the SEC, I think even amidst our defense being super horrid, I think we have a shot at winning some big games. Now, in no way under any circumstances am I picking Florida to beat Georgia, but we have a shot to beat AM. We have a shot to beat South Carolina, we should beat Vanderbilt. We have a shot to beat FSU if Anthony Richardson can continue to replicate that performance. No interceptions, big-time plays running the ball, big-time plays throwing the ball. Okay. I had a feeling you were going to pick a Gator. I mean, I'm going to pick the guy that had the biggest impact in the game. I'm going to say Jaden Daniels. He's 23 for 32 with 350 yards, three passing touchdowns, also ran for 44 yards and three more touchdowns on the ground. Florida couldn't stop him. And he just, he had his way. And you can, you can say, well, that's more Florida's defense being terrible than it is Jaden Daniels being elite. Probably the reality is it's a combination of both. He had a tremendous night. Florida had Florida's defense had a tremendously bad night. And those two things, just combined for Daniels having a career day. So I'll go with Daniels. And uh, now we get to the part that I think is going to be pretty ugly. Dustin grades. Um, let's, let's just get through this and be done with it. What have you got? Offense, defense, special teams, coaching, and overall grades. What have you got? Offense. I'm going to give an A minus. I think that 35 points is more than enough to, win the game. I mean, to start off the game, it was a total shootout. Anthony Richardson played the way that we all expected Anthony Richardson to play this season. No, even though in the innermost part of me, I wanted Anthony Richardson to be a Heisman contender. The expectation was that he would be a serviceable quarterback that would have electric plays running the ball, that he would throw the ball with efficiency He'd make plays in the air as well, and that's what he did in the game. So offense, I have to give an A-. minus. Defense, F. Not just an F, but I'm going to give them – I'll give them a 1% F. 1% F. I thought we had – I thought Brenton Cox played well. One out of One out of 10, okay? But he wasn't even in the game the whole time. So I can't give the Florida 10%. Got to give them 1% F. Okay. Special teams. I didn't think special teams was bad. We did get the muff punt, which I thought was pretty darn good. Great punt. I'm going to give special teams a B plus. Coaching F. Anytime you put together that performance on defense or offense, where you literally have a stat that is the worst in the nation. The worst in the nation. Okay, Neil, I understand if Boston College has a stat that is worse in the nation. I understand if Tulane has a stat that is worse in the nation. I understand if the South Florida team from last year has a stat that is the worst in the nation. There is literally no excuse for Florida 
to be ranked 131 out of 131 teams in third down defense, yet here we are. So coaching F. And overall, F. I know I usually average a ball. I'm not going to do that. 35%. We score 35 points. It shouldn't equate like that. This team gets a fat 35%. That's what I'm giving them. Yeah, boy, these are Awful. gonna be these are gonna be so ugly. Take um, the class again. You're yeah. done. Midterm yeah. failed. I know I said Georgia's the midterm. That's me being nice. There ain't no makeup games in football. There ain't no participation trophies. We All got right. beat down. We stunk. Here go we go. for it, Neil. Here we go. Offense. They'll get a B. They, they were fine. Richardson was good at times. He was bad at others, like you mentioned. The last drive, you'd like to not see four straight into completions. But I thought he was fine. ETN and Johnson had big games on the ground. The offensive line did its job. Justin Shorter with a great catch. They were fine. I, I would have liked to not see them stall out. Remember, LSU had to muff a punt for Florida to get a touchdown on that, that, uh, that third drive. So, I mean, Florida's offense did flinch before LSU's did. You would have liked to have not seen that. You would have also liked to have not seen the offense sputter out in the third quarter the way it did. But overall, 35 points and almost 400 yards should win you the game. So, B, defense, the ultimate, the ultimate bad grade, zero. They get a zero. They literally didn't do anything right. They didn't cover. They didn't tackle. They didn't use a sideline as an extra defender. They they looked lost. They didn't. They just didn't do anything. And I said this earlier. It beat this point to death. But just to rehash it, LSU literally scored a touchdown on every single drive in the first three quarters. The only reason Florida got any quote unquote stop and say stop singular, they got one, was because they had the first down made. They had it, and Boutte dropped the ball. That's not Florida making a stop. That's Florida being given a present. And then LSU didn't need anything more than just the field goal on the last drive to put that away. So zero, because they literally could not have done any worse. Special teams, B plus. They they were fine. They did good. The opening kickoff was nice. Uh, ETN returning that near midfield was great. Recovering the muff punt was great. I mean, the punts were good from, from Crawshaw. I don't think I didn't think special teams directly gave Florida an extra edge in the game, but they more than held their own and did what they were supposed to do. Coaching F, but not a zero. I'll give them like a, a 40 just because I don't know what they're supposed to do. They clearly I mean, they have reasons not to trust corners to press or jam, because like we said, I've seen them do it at Louisiana. They they clearly believe in it as a concept, but. I mean, at the end of the day, the coaches are responsible for the sum of their team's performance, especially in game seven, too, even in year one. Um, so, you know, there there is some stuff that they can't help. They can't help, you know, that everyone's missing tackles, but there's no reason for trading to be out there. There's there's none. There's no justification for that. We've we've passed that point in time so long ago. It almost feels Mullen-esque at this point. So, um, you know, that, that dings them. Um, 40% for them. And for the overall team grade, I'll say, uh, I'll say about a 20 because the offense was, was good, not great, but it, it was good enough to win the game. But the defense was so all time bad that it, it drags everything else down because the defense lost the game. The defense 
rendered everything else irrelevant because they literally couldn't do anything right. And when you're that bad, it drags everything else down. So I'll say 20. I think that's it, Dustin. I think we've I think we've beaten this to death. And I think that this this podcast can can sit in our our archives and you know, hopefully one day we look back on it and say, yeah, that's how bad things were in the at the start of Billy Napier's tenure. And I believe that that will be the case. Yeah. But yeah, Neil, I, I have one question to ask yikes. you before we call this a show. We sit here at the bye week, and I hate to have to ask you the question, but does Billy Napier need to make changes to his coaching staff in order for Florida to be successful? As of right now, I say no. I reserve the right to change that opinion if the next five games do not yield significantly better results because he does have a bye week. They do have a bye week to tinker with some stuff. So I'll give them that. And, you know, sometimes, you know, the last couple of games of the year do yield changes. There is the 1973 team, the November to remember. So it's possible, but to be revisited after the FSU game. Yes. Neil, I'm going to, I'm going to say that I agree with you and I'll, and I'll just add this. When we pick Georgia, I'm going to make the grand assumption that both of us are going to pick Florida to not beat Georgia as far as keys to the game, I'm not going to share keys for Florida to win because in order for Florida to win, Jesus Christ in the flesh would have to show up and play quarterback and something supernatural would have to happen. Not going to happen. What instead I'm going to do is I'm going to give keys that I want to see so we could know that Florida is making the improvements that they need to make. What do I want to see defensively? What do, I, what do I want to see from Anthony Richardson against probably the best defense that he's going to face all year? That's what we're going to do. Yeah, We're fair. putting this one to bed. It hurts, but there's context involved. The co- I know that you mentioned it at the beginning. I love context. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention it at the end. The context is Billy Napier is rebuilding this team. He's building it the right way. This isn't the McDonald's method that Bullen attempted where we did win a lot of games, but at what cost in that first year? He is burning the entire program to the ground so that he can build it his way. I know that sounds harsh. I know that that may not be liked by some of you to hear that, but that's exactly what's happening because in three years, we'll know. Is Florida competing for SEC and national championships, or is it more of the same? That's when we'll know. Not at the end of week seven or even the end of week 13, for crying out loud. It's going to take time. I have to be patient. Neil, I know that you have to be patient as well, and we'll see what happens. But as we say, we keep it respectful, yet we keep it real in all kinds of weather. We all stick together for F-L-O-R-I-D-A. Go Gators. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that's about as good a way to wrap up the pod as you can get. I will quickly point out that I now have uh, the $15 gift card at your expense to Miller's Ale House. Thanks to my predicting that. I just had a feeling that that was going to happen. Yeah. Um, I, I can't even say that too gloaty because it's... 
it just came at such a heavy price. Um, hey, man, that next year we're going to hang out again and we're yeah. going to enjoy hopefully a big time Gator victory in the swamp. So us watching the game together has once again a winning record. And I'm going to thoroughly enjoy you eating some amazing zingers at Miller's Ale House. Yeah. Uh, celebration Point in Gainesville. I know how much we love that one. So I actually like hit that big one up. Red. That's probably what I'm going to get. Anyway, going to end the pod with one final point. Do Two it. things can be true at the same time. Number one, this defense is absolutely unacceptably all-time atrocious. That's point number one. Point number two, despite that, despite me saying there's a threshold to just how bad things can be for us to accept it, I still do trust Billy Napier. I'm irritated. I am irritated, but I still do trust him. These are more growing pains than I thought, but I'm still willing to endure them for as frustrating as they may be for the result in the end. In all kinds of weather, we will all stick together for F-L-O-R-I-D-A. We kept it respectful. It was never personal, but boy, did things get real. Hopefully, we don't have to go there again. Until next time, y'all stay safe, stay healthy, and go Gators. Go Gators.